Okay, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Tim Phillips. And Tim, uh, in a Halloween mood, I see. Oh, big time, yeah. As <laughs> as you can see, I'm in a full costume right now. Um, <laughs> this is the dress rehearsal for for the big day. It is, yeah. I'm dressed as a werewolf. I'm going to dress as a werewolf for a full week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's been growing his beard out for a whole year. I have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking good. Anyway, End Credits Thank is you. a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new horror comedy TV adaptation, The Monsters, which you can now stream on any number of VOD platforms and um, hopefully was well implied by our very hilarious uh, cold open there. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is a werewolf in the Munsters uh, movie, so... Yeah, yeah. Anyway, for the first part of the show, uh, since we're talking about a TV-to-movie uh, transition, uh, a movie based on a TV show, we thought... And I can't believe we haven't done this before. We thought we'd talk about some other good uh, movies that are based on TV shows. Uh, no Wealth... Or, or no lack of wealth of material, no lack of material. Um, whether that's, you know, shows that are, or t- movies that are extensions of the TV show, or um, somebody just looking to exploit some valuable IP, such as the, and I forgot this is a thing that actually existed, the Leave it to Beaver movie that was made in the 90s. What's well, number one on my list, Adam? Oh, dear. No, Spoiler no. alert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, how about this one? The Rocky and Bullwinkle movie that's somehow paradoxically starred uh, Robert De Niro. And I think he co-produced that as well. Wow. <laughs> I kind of remember that. <laughs> or uh, Sergeant Bilko starring Steve Martin oh. as the titular Bilko. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just reading things off the Wikipedia page here, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- you know, there's a lot to choose from. I hope, hopefully, uh, none of those choices none of those choices were ours. I think I have some pretty interesting picks, but Tim, I know you always have interesting picks. So why don't you start off with your uh, number one? Thanks, Adam. Uh, the first one for me is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. From 1982. Um, Celebrating 40 years. 40 years. I didn't even realize. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's probably streaming somewhere. Um, And yeah, I'm by no means a Trekkie. So I'll I'll throw that out there. But that movie definitely made an impression on me when I was uh, when I was younger. Um, So I saw it when I was, I think, a quite quite a young child. And uh, it really left an impression on me. And I remember the one thing that really left an impression is that scene with the bugs, mm-hmm. the brains, mm-hmm. the brain sucking bugs, um, that, uh, Khan, uh, played by Ricardo Montalban as at, at his villainous best. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he puts or has his, his cronies put in the ears of Chekhov and Terrell. Um, and, yeah, that scene, I remember, for the most part, the movie's, you know, 
I don't want to say pretty standard because it is, mm. it, 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 it follows on some deep themes, but mm. there's nothing really that graphic except for that one scene where mm-hmm. the uh, bugs go in their ears and, <laughs> and, uh, and it's a mind control device that Khan has over these two, uh, you know, two I don't know all the terminology, but from uh, Chekhov and Terrell. Um, he brainwashes two Starfleet officers. Yeah, Starfleet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. These two Starfleet officers. <laughs> and I remember when I was a kid, I was just like, oh, man, that that was crazy. Because I saw it when I was like six or seven or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I just watched it actually in preparation for the show because it's like, yeah, Wrath of Khan. I want to watch that again. And it's. Yeah, it holds up really well. Um, mm. I think it's definitely different in that the uh, writer director Nicholas Meyer is sort of delving into he's delving into old age and death. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's going pretty deep into those topics. Uh, yet there's a real light touch to it as well. So it starts with James Kirk. You know, he's celebrating a birthday. I heard in the background for the movie it was supposed to be his 49th birthday. William Shatner didn't want them to say it was his 49th birthday. Um, He thought he could go on uh, playing the young James Kirk forever, I think. For anyone Uh, who might not know, William Shatner is a deeply vain and narcissistic man. (laughs) Yeah. In this background I read, it came across. He's like, what's the right makeup? I could keep playing this for 20 more years, you know? That's right. (laughs) And he was actually... He was actually 51 when they filmed Wrath of Khan. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, there's a new training crew and the movie does great job with the training crew that Spock is training. And it actually introduced to the world Kirstie Alley mm-hmm. as, as a Vulcan um, uh, captain or captain in training. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I just thought the it was really it really really showed like the passing of time and the fact that the series from the 60s now we're in 1982 so time is moving on Mm -hmm. so it it seemed like they were preparing for this transition um that never really happened until i guess 2009 the the newer star trek films but Mm. they're preparing for this transition that you know you're aging the new generation's going to come in Mm. get ready for that and of course with spock um the death of spock in the film um Mm -hmm. is 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 major he sacrifices himself for the crew it's got that iconic scene where uh james kirk runs down to see him and he's trapped yeah uh he's trapped and he can't get can't get out and kind of brings the... a tear to your eye just thinking about it and like yeah. the, James, the james hoarder music is so good in the movie too. <laughs> yeah and he's stuck in the radiation he sacrificed himself and then he does the live long and prosper holding his hand up to the glass and uh and kirk does the same thing and yeah it's really it, it really works and yeah. even there's cheesiness to it that you know when well, big, um, time. big time kirk yells con and they did that in Seinfeld. I think George Costanza yells con during one episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, but that still works. It's good to have that cheesiness because you can sort of like laugh and smile about it and, and not be too disturbed by the pretty heavy themes that are going on, you know? Well, I mean, talk but, about cheese, like everything, like, like every time Ricardo Montalban has to like say a line, he's just like, 
He's just like biting into it, like from hell's heart, <laughs> I stab at thee. That's, yeah, he's just quoting Moby Dick all the time and stuff. Yeah, it's so great. And there's a there's a yeah. famous story about Ricardo Montalban. He's given this script, and he's like, "Well, I'm hardly in it." And then you know, he he showed it to somebody else, like his manager or something, and they said, "Like, yeah, but whenever you're not on screen, the characters are always talking about you." <laughs> so I mean, it, it's kind of amazing how the ego is kind of splashed all over this. Wrath of Khan is a good choice. It's it's also good because it's um, kind of the it, it, it's a great charm of the Star Trek franchise, the entirety of the like the almost 60 year history of the franchise. But it's also been its bane because it's it, you know, speaking of Moby Dick, it's the white whale. Every filmmaker that's taken on a Star Trek movie has yeah. been chasing ever since. Yeah. And and you're talking about ego too. Like Leonard Nimoy mm. wanted them to kill off the Spock character. He wanted that death scene. Yeah. He wanted the death scene. And Nicholas Meyer was for it. Nicholas Meyer, you know, he directed Time After Time, the 1979 movie, which, which is, is great. I just rewatched it a couple of Yeah. Weeks. An amazing movie, H.G. Wells traveling in time to track down Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And he also has written Sherlock Holmes novels. Like he's a well-written, he's, he's quite the writer. So he was happy doing it. And apparently from what I read, it was going to be much more sort of dismal ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to mm-hmm. death of Spock. There's going to be more f- finality to it. And then they added in the um, casket scene and the voiceover mm-hmm. by Spock at the end, mm-hmm. at the behest of the, uh, of the producers and he he didn't stand in the way of that but nicholas meyer was against that and yeah it it could have been it was almost like it was gearing up to be sort of the end of that original cast yeah but it was so popular that they kept making movies after that and that was more of that ego because how they enticed Leonard Nimoy to come back was like, well, you can direct the next one. <laughs> and so it's, it's just amazing how ego is like sort of splashed all over this. Um, yeah. Speaking of ego, I do want to get to my first pick, yeah. which is uh, in the loop, which is um, I don't know how you would describe it. It's kind of based on the thick of it, which is a British series uh created by Armando Iannucci. He also did In the Loop. He wrote and directed In the Loop. Um, It features a lot of the same people as the thick of it, though they're in different roles. Um, So, you know, it does feature uh, Chris Addison, uh, James Smith, Alex uh, McQueen. uh, But the only two people who are playing the exact same roles they have in the thick of it are, of course, Peter Capaldi as the um, nonstop curse machine known as uh, Malcolm Tucker and uh, also oh, what's his name uh, Paul Higgins who plays uh, Jamie McDonald the angriest man in Scotland uh, so all everyone else who is in, in the loop is playing kind of different characters interestingly though because uh, Ianucci also went on to make Veep you also get um, some of the people who, who end up taking up residence in, Be- in Veep, like Anna Klumsky and Zach Woods and David Rosh. So um, it's, it's a thinly veiled satire of the lead up to the war in Iraq and how Britain got involved um, using essentially the thick of it characters. <laughs> um, it's 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 it, it's inc- it's actually blacker than the thick of it. Like the thick of it is kind of like. Um, kind of a little bit more slapstick than in the loop in the loop is decidedly darker. It's got like more of a gallows humor. 
Um, but it is like there are a lot of really great funny moments in it. Uh, you get Steve Coogan as uh, one of the constituents of the the foreign secretary who's like really mad about this wall falling down. So you have to take two stories. You have this like highly consequential international um, build up to starting a war, but you also have this side story about people in the minister's constituency who are mad about this rotating wall that's falling apart. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's amazing how you're, you're not sure at the end, if the ministers fall from grace is because of the way this war situation has been handled, or it's because somebody drew a political cartoon of him as the walrus, the, the carpenter walrus from Alice in Wonderland being unable to fix this rotating wall in his constituency. So it's just, it's it's drier it's more acerbic it's blacker than the thick of it but uh the dna is still there and then you also have this other thing that um uh, uh ianucci would go on to make veep and then he's kind of laying the groundwork there as well by bringing the americans into it and of course it's all the whole thing is held together by uh malcolm tucker who is just um a, a tribute to uh, maybe one of the greatest political characters of all time, and definitely one of the most difficult to run clips on community radio, uh, <laughs> given that every other word is a swear word. But um, I enjoy In the Loop, and uh, that's one of my picks. So. Nice. All right, let's get to your uh, number two. My number two mm-hmm. um, is from one of my favorite series of all time, a lot of people, one of their favorite of all time, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie from just a few years ago, El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't binge watched many shows in my life, but Breaking Bad was one of them. Mm-hmm. And so this movie probably works best if you are familiar with the series, especially if you've watched all the episodes. Um, it's... It's a uh, sort of like it's a sequel and an epilogue, uh, mm-hmm. and it's Jesse Pinkman, uh, who from the series, as most people who've seen it know, is the uh, young sort of problem child uh, who uh, I think he's out of high school at this point. And he's um, making meth, and he joins up with his teacher Walter White to. Uh, to build an empire in Albuquerque, New Mexico, mm-hmm. um, uh, built on meth, on crystal meth. Um, and I think this works really well in that it could have been a real letdown um, after the series. It's like the series said so much. It, there was a finality to the finale. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't one of these open enders or anything really, except the one open thread was the Jesse Pinkman character. Mm-hmm. who is escaping from the Nazi compound. And so this <laughs> follows him. This follows where he ends up from there. And also there's a lot of flashbacks mm-hmm. um, to what he's gone through, which you experienced a lot during the series, but you didn't really see a lot of the details of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie does a great job with Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman and Jesse Plemons, who's just a fantastic actor mm-hmm. as Todd, the sociopath who's torturing and playing mind games with um, with Jesse, and uh, it's I, I it works really well. The El Camino in question is actually Todd's El Camino that Jesse steals to get to get away, mm-hmm. um, and it's, uh, it does a great 
it's a great character study on Jesse Pinkman, what he's gone through, what he aspires to in his life. Um, flashbacks to Mike, who was his mentor in the series, talking about if he had it all to do again, if he was younger, he'd go to Alaska. So this puts uh, in Jesse's mind a vision, uh, a future for himself in Alaska. But he's haunted by all these all these demons from the show, obviously Todd and the Nazis and all the abuse um, from them, but also his interactions with Walter White. And there's irony during one scene where Walter White's like, we're going to make a million dollars. Your life's going to change. I wish I could be young again to be you in this situation. And it turns out to be more of a prison for him than, uh, than, than, uh, than him winning the lottery or something. Mm. It's more of a, just a really hard life for him. And I, I think they do a great job. And the fact that Vince Gilligan, the creator, wrote, directed, and produced mm-hmm. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, it keeps that continuity to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's by no means like probably the best five episodes of Breaking Bad are more compelling than that movie. But the movie is very good. And I think it stands up well with the series. Mm-hmm. And so probably a lot of people who've who watched Breaking Bad the series have seen it, but if you haven't, it, it was a Netflix original, I believe. And um, yeah, El Camino, I, I think it does justice to the to the show and really digs in deeper to the character of Jesse. Uh, yes, Breaking Bad is um, one of my blind spots, so I I I will get there someday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> technically, my second pick is also a blind spot because I have never watched the series once, but I did see the 2015 movie. It was based on uh, The Man from Uncle. This is uh, from Guy Ritchie. Um, much like Aladdin, though, you wouldn't think it's a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the Guy Ritchiness and a lot of that flair. It's, it's surprisingly tight and um, not at all in his style book. Um, it's based on a 60s series where an American spy teams up with a Soviet spy and uh, essentially they um, thwart plots that um, will, will affect both uh, countries. Uh, the, the whole idea is that there's this organization in the series, I think it's called Thrush, um, and I'm not going to do what it's an anagram for because it's impossibly long and convoluted, but uh, basically it's trying to create uh, a, a war between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And so uh, you have these two spies from both countries who um, put aside their mutual animus to, uh, to save the planet. And that is carried over in the Man from Uncle movie. You have Henry Cavill as the impossibly named Napoleon Solo. And uh, and this is the problematic part. It's Army Hammer as Ilya Karlyanka, I think is the character's name, who's the um, hot-tempered Russian spy. It's, it's interesting about how it plays against uh, those types where, um, and maybe that's to the benefit of of uh you know kind of american propaganda at the time that uh you know the the russian is the hothead and the the american is uh is cool as f but um this was also in alicia vikander's breakout year she has a, a supporting role so this is this came out between ex machina and the danish girl and uh she's really great in it she's not like a damsel in distress she's like kind of a full-blown member of the team and that may be um an update uh, that could have been a response to either a knowing uh, the filmmakers understanding what kind of talent they had in Alicia Vikander or just, you know, uh, speaking of the times. 
Um, you also have Elizabeth Debicki as the bad guy, um, essentially the, the the villainess, and uh, everybody's just looks so stylish in it. And uh, look, the production design is so great, like 1960s Europe. You want to be there <laughs> despite the Cold War tensions. Henry Cavill is really great because I think most people at this point would have just known him from Superman, which is not a role that they have really tapped into his talents and his charisma and his charm. And that's what Guy Ritchie really does. He really like me, even though because Henry Cavill is bulked up to be Superman, he's almost literally bursting out of these glorious three piece suits. But um, it seems like Guy Ritchie fundamentally understand what Zack Snyder didn't is that Henry Cavill is an utterly and completely charming man. And when you let him turn on the charm, you feel it. And so that's what, because Napoleon Solo is essentially a con artist. Um, that That's, I think, where the man from Uncle really sings. Also, it's just like a really tight, you know, movie. It's got good action. It's got good uh, character work. Um, it's got uh, Jared Harris and Hugh Grant in supporting roles. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's great cast, great, um, great production design. It, it just, it really swings. Swing in sixties, uh, you know, it, it really has that zip to it. So um, it really should have been a bigger hit. It wasn't. That's um, to the loss of people who haven't seen Man from Uncle. Um, but it is really, it is really well worth seeing. I think it's one of, I think it's one of Guy Ritchie's better movies. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen it. Yes, do check it out. Um, now we're going to see if we want to check out your number three pick. Yeah, my number three pick, I mentioned it before on the show, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. South mm-hmm. Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm i sort of a fan of the series. Not, I've kind of lost touch with the series a bit. Um, I used to enjoy the irreverence of the episodes, uh, but I feel like with the movie uh, that they did in 1999, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, Mm-hmm. that they took it took it up a notch mm-hmm. uh, i i feel like when they're when they're grand they're even better like with south park bigger longer and uncut and also book of mormon mm-hmm. which i was lucky enough to see uh once um i think they're at their best when they just go full out bombastic and that's what this movie is it's just it's i think it's just hilarious i haven't watched it in a while so there's Mm -hmm. probably some things that you're not supposed to say or do anymore um but they probably don't care um so uh blame canada is hilarious um the (laughs) terrence and philip characters really tapped into a moment that probably still happening today they'd probably be tiktok um tiktok celebrities or something nowadays but they're they have a TV show that's really offensive, fart jokes, um, just disrespectful to authority. And they have these really bad, supposed to be Canadian accents. Um, Mm. For some reason, Trey Parker and Matt Stone think we all talk pretty, pretty strangely in Canada. They've got the journalists who all talk funny and Terrence and Phillip and, yeah, they, so, they think we talk like Danish people have been hit over the head. Yeah. <laughs> but Terrence and Phillips uh, movie, um, it's where it gets kind of meta. Their movie is, in, you know, offensive and uh, there's 
picket lines and <laughs> but the kids all love it right so just like right. just like the south park movie right well, the, kids the kids love it yeah the kids all love it <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so that starts off this you know this conflict with canada because they're canadian and the blame canada u.s war with canada all of this going on and Meanwhile, Satan's having an, uh, having a romantic relationship with Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> so that's <laughs> just played. And and Satan's just like Satan's almost like he, he's he's the one who's who's being he, like Saddam Hussein's the evil one, and mm-hmm. Satan's the one who's needs to get out of the, out of the relationship. Like mm-hmm. Satan needs to go <laughs> get get out of this abusive relationship. <laughs> Yeah, he yeah. has with Saddam Hussein and it, it's really, yeah, it's, it's hilarious, the irreverence, but also like the character of Satan, it comes across as somebody who, you know, really loves somebody and doesn't understand them and uh, very sensitive portrayal of Satan. And then meanwhile, Saddam Hussein's just a total mm-hmm. psychopath, you know, just, just, um, doing anything he wants for his pleasure kind of thing and just doesn't care about anything. Uh, and both those depictions are really funny. I think the movie works on so many levels. Um, and then the, the league characters, you know, Cartman and gang there are just <laughs> hilarious, just hilarious. With, you know what they think of Terrence and Philip. you know, what's going on at the, um, at their school and, Mm. and you know how they're going to s- save the world from war and mm. once again it's the children it's the children who are saving us from ourselves and <laughs> in the in the south park movie so that's yeah, that's funny <laughs> yeah. uh, let me ask you this how many seasons of south park do you think they're up to now guess 12 25 25 see that's how <laughs> yeah, because it was from the '90s. Yeah, so, yeah. And I, I yeah. think they had a couple of seasons under their belt when they made the movie. So yeah, and it's kept going. So crazy. Um, my last pick. It, it's not a, a favorite of mine, but I I do like it. Um, it's definitely a guilty pleasure. It's X Files. I want to believe it was produced between uh, a period between the end of the show and when they brought the show back a couple of years ago. So they tried to do it on another X Files movie. So this isn't the one that they made in uh, during the course of the show that was tied into the mythology. This was kind of a standalone story about uh, an organ harvesting ring, um, people who were uh, a group of uh, Eastern Europeans who were uh, kidnapping people, killing them, uh, harvesting their organs and then selling them on the black market. And the investigation brings Scully and Mulder back into the fold uh, because there's a defrocked priest who is having visions of the killer. And so you, you learn over the course of the movie why that is um, and whether or not the, the priest is uh, swindling the FBI. And um, it's really kind of Scully's movie, which is interesting because a lot of it is about her faith and her efforts as a doctor to save um, this kid at the hospital she's working at, this Catholic Charities Hospital, which um, let's just say it's not exactly open to new and experimental uh treatments but uh it's it, it was it was you know as a long-term x-files fan it was interesting to see it in this was 2008 it came out to see 
a new story with Mulder and Scully. It was also interesting to see it because the series of uh, the last half of the series was shot in LA and not in Vancouver. And this went back to BC and it was shot in British Columbia. So you get the, the grayness and the drabness of, of a BC winter that is what that was so lacking in the latter years of the X-Files when they were mostly like in sunny climbs out in the desert. Um, so that it, it, it was nice. It was, it felt like it was getting back to like first principles in that way. Um, it was like, it felt like even if the story didn't, uh, wasn't an A plus X-Files story, it, it was definitely A plus X-Files atmosphere. <laughs> and you get, um, a really great supporting cast, including Canadian uh, Callum Keith Rennie, who if you've seen any show that is shot in Vancouver, he has um, invariably popped up in a guest capacity um, from Battlestar Galactica to Smallville and, and all those. And um, it also co-stars Amanda Peet as one of the FBI agents and uh, Billy Connolly, famous Scottish comic, plays the the priest who's having visions. So that's a sort of classic X-Files um, whammy casting is this like we're going to cast someone who you completely out of left field to play this role of um a defrocked priest who's been accused of some pretty heinous crimes himself um it's it's again it's not a plus x files but it's a plus x files atmosphere and um i enjoy it it's guilty pleasure as i said all right speaking of guilty pleasures we're going to queue up this review. I'm very interested to see what I'm very interested to see what Tim thinks of it. Um, <laughs> Cause I definitely have some thoughts. We're going to talk about the monsters, Rob zombies, the monsters after this, you are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph campus and community radio. Numbskull! Excuse me, sir, can you speak up? I assume you are the Herman Munster character I've been hearing so much about lately! Yeah, I think I'm the only one! When they made me, they broke the mold! With you in it, I presume! No! I think I was out by that point! Okay, and that was a clip from the monsters it's the new film from let me check my notes yep writer director rob zombie and it stars <laughs> jeff daniel phillips sherry moon zombie daniel roebuck richard blake thomas boykin sylvester mccoy jorge garcia and cassandra peterson um that last woman better known as elvira mistress of the dark um and just speaking anecdotally, I did once ride up in an elevator with Cassandra Peterson in full 
Elvira regalia. And just speaking for myself personally, you have never worked harder not to look at a woman's cleavage in your life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She just just, uh, came out too. She did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which probably isn't terribly surprising given all these years. Um, But anyway, uh, let's talk about the monsters. Uh, Tim, I'm, I'm interested to know, number one, uh, what your relationship to the Monsters, the classic monster show is, and number two, what your relationship is to Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. Okay, so um, (laughs) the Monsters, the TV show, I have a relationship because when I was younger, I think probably like high school age 15 or so, Mm -hmm. it used to come on, uh, it was on TV, I forget what channel it was on, but they would show uh, reruns of the Monsters. And I watched it. So I've seen probably 15 episodes mm-hmm. of the monsters. So, and I used to, I liked it. I thought it was just quirky. I liked the bad jokes. Just <laughs> the, I, I really liked that. Um, the characters I just thought were so funny. Um, the fact that, you know, you had the Adams family too. So it was kind of like this other network is trying to (laughs) i like they were just so uh, you know unscrupulous to just do that and just put out like a a monster show with these you know same sort of goth people in a castle and i i really liked so i used to like the show quite a bit Mm. and then coming to this i have zero relationship with rob zombie as a filmmaker so Mm. Um, I haven't watched the um, Halloween movie he did and all, all the horror movies he's done. Um, I did listen to his music a bit in high school. So I'm familiar with like White Zombie and Rob Zombie and the music aspect to it. His music videos, which at the time, uh, I think many of them did sh- star Sherry Moon's Zombie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm familiar with that. So I've read and passing reviews of some of his horror movies saying, you know, they're sort of like mixed bags. Right. Um, and yeah, so that's what I come into this with. So I figured Halloween, let's watch something, um, you know, something fun, not too scary. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, so I chose this one and, uh, I think it's scary in other ways. Because I'm not really sure if it's a movie or not. You know, it's just sort of. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. After watching it, I feel like Rob Zombie would be great at just if he stuck to like music videos. But something like this. I almost felt like at the end, I I enjoyed it the most near the end when they uh, moved to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And I really like the joke about they go during Halloween and Mm -hmm. everybody's dressed in costumes and they're like just at home right they're Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. this is our home everyone's beautiful here they're all and then the next day they see them all without their costumes on smiling (laughs) (laughs) you know baby strollers and they're they're aghast they're they find it horrific that they're (laughs) where they are now so yeah I, i like that joke and it would have been i felt like that's almost like when the movie was starting um because then at the end they do an homage I believe to like the opening credits of the monsters. Yes. But, but then that's the end of the movie. And that's where I was actually starting to get into it after 
earlier on, I, I felt like we don't need an origin story for Herman Munster. <laughs> that was a little elaborate. Yeah. You know, like it's just, you know, he's like Frankenstein's monster. I didn't feel like we needed any of that. And then I kind of had fun with it. I liked the bad jokes. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff Daniel Phillips, my cousin, did a great job in the lead role um, <laughs> as Herman Munster. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, he did well with the jokes. And then, yeah, Sherry Moon Zombie. I think if you hadn't seen the series, mm. you'd be like, what's up with that acting? But I'm pretty sure that's how yeah. um, it's portrayed in the series, too. She yeah. she was channeling, what's the actress's name? Yvonne DiCarlo. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, she was definitely doing that kind of... I mean, all of this is, is so heightened, too. It, it really does feel like... Um, you know, a lot of you know, a, lot, a lot of the early TV actors, because, you know, movie stars wouldn't sully themselves to be to go and do TV at this point. Right. So where do you get your actors from? You get uh, to be in these early TV shows. Well, you get them from theater. Um, so the reason you see a lot of this heightened acting in a lot of these early TV shows is because you're getting theater people in who um, who, who have to play high because they have to to project to the to the rafters um, mm-hmm. where, you know, the, the cheap seats are. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think I read somewhere that both Sherry and Rob were big Munsters fans. So this was kind of like their passion project, which I mean, kudos to them for like finding, <laughs> going to universal studios and Hank saying like, Hey, we want to just like fun our like kooky out there. Uh, Munsters fan boy and girl movie. And, you know, somebody at the studio rubber stamps it. Um, it's impressive to be sure. Like, but yeah, I, I'm, I was constantly, I was constantly struggling and watching it. Like, who is this for exactly? Who is this complicated web of like, how did Herman Munster, like, how was he created? Um, how did he and Lily meet? How did they fall? Why did they move away from Transylvania and emigrate to the United States? It's like, I, I don't care about any of that. (laughs) (laughs) I started drifting off during part of it too. I was just sort of like, or I just sort of like daydreaming during part of it. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm not really interested. I mean, Richard Brake is doing yeoman's work, like making that, like the doctor character, um, like something. I don't know what he's making it, but he's trying to make it something. And it just, it, just it's it's not clicking and this whole thing about herman munster like being a i don't know like a a heavy metal joke band and that's like how he becomes famous it was like it was like (laughs) rob zombie inserting himself i think there yeah i was i was wondering that um because rob zombie is very much i think about making himself a character um i mean certainly like the white zombie days that's you know it's in the great tradition of these like you know well, White Zombie comes before Insane Clown Posse, but like, like Kiss and Alice Cooper. And it's like, it's we're not just making music. We're making theater, um, theater of the macabre with our heavy metal. It's, you know, yeah. there, there's that kind of like pretentiousness to it, although you don't think of it as necessarily pretentious, but it is. Yeah, um, and it's, it's interesting because yeah. um, Lily is like, is like a groupie, right? She, yeah. comes, she follows them. So... Is that like being auto- autobiographical there or something? I don't know if that's the case. That's but, interesting too. I hadn't thought yeah. of that, but you're right. That is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's she's she's obsessed with 
Herman Munster when she sees him on TV, right? Because her- I, yeah, no, you're right. I'm thinking about this more and more because I looked up her filmography and she's almost exclusively done Rob Zombie movies. Um, and of course, like he, he has, like he's madly in love with her too. There's, there's a scene in Lords of Salem and it has to be like a five minute long scene where Sherry Moon Zombie is just sleeping naked in bed and he luxuriates on her body, like panning up and down different angles. And she, all she's doing is like sleeping. I, like it's probably not five minutes long, but it feels like five minutes because you can practically feel him drooling behind the camera. <laughs> it's, I mean, which is nice. It's nice to be madly in love with your wife, but um yeah, maybe there is an autobiographical autobiograph, autobiographical bit here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he he plays and it's it, it his music. Yeah, is sort of like Rob Zombie or or White Zombie in that it's like mm-hmm. really sort of in your face, but uh, sort of campy too, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's in looks like he's in costume, but that's who he is, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> and he's this Frankenstein type monster. Yeah, and. So I think it, 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 he is putting in some autobiographical details, and I did a little reading on this. And uh, he's from Rob Zombie's from Ohio, mm-hmm. so Midwest, and he grew up watching the Munsters. So it's it, it it's interesting what you said. It was a real personal movie for him, and kudos to him and Sherry Moon Zombie <laughs> for, for, for getting it getting it made. But it it is it is to me all over the place and I like to have fun and I don't need narrative all the time. And, but like this just seemed like, okay, now we're going to have the standard um, mad scientist creates monster scene. And then that's Herman mm-hmm. Munster. And it's like, why do you even need that? And yeah, the touches that were kind of funny, they, they're kind of fleeting. Like the werewolf character you mentioned earlier on, He's mm-hmm. kind of funny. He's a funny, funny guy. And he's mm-hmm. obviously has a gambling addiction because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, he, he puts them in trouble by, um, yeah, l- losing their house or signing away their house. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then, yeah. And then at the end, it's just like turns on a twist, like spoiler alert. I don't know how many people are going to watch this, but like mm. spoiler alert. Oh, he won at Vegas. Now everything's okay again or something. You know, it's just, yeah. it, it just, it, it felt like it felt sort of like, sort of like half ass kind of right. Like the movie and yeah. it's either, either on purpose or not. That's the, that's the thing that that'd be interesting to find out is like, did they just say, we just don't care. We're just gonna do whatever. Or are they just not, Rob Zombie and team not that strong at like delivering a story, you know? Or- You're right. Like I, I do wonder like how much is was driven by the fact that they shot in Budapest. Um, so you can't really you probably you probably have a hard time finding something that could pass as a slice of Americana in Budapest. Um, I think if I remember correctly. I don't think they shot the Texas Chainsaw movie that came out this year in Budapest, but they did shoot it in like Eastern Europe. And you can definitely tell it's Eastern Europe and not Texas or this yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie takes place in. Um, so I do wonder how much of that is like, okay, you're going to shoot it as cheap as possible. You're going to go to Hungary. You're going to shoot it there. And, you know, if you could, I mean, it, it's very soundstage based. I, like, a lot of this looks like it was made on a soundstage, which is fine. Um, you can do great stuff with soundstage, uh, 
does great stuff on a soundstage. But um, this entire endeavor has this kind of, and I was thinking about it the whole time because just the way the color, I mean, I kind of like the way this movie looks, like the way the colors are so vibrant, the way it pops. It's a PG movie. So it's not like a Rob Zombie capital R capital Z movie. Um, You know, the kids can watch it, um, (laughs) even though there is kind of an off color joke about uh, anyway, Uh, there is one off color joke, but I mean, that's par for the course, but the, the, it, it, it's a very kids friendly movie and there are times when you're looking at it and it's like this could have run on like after school um it just it has that look to it it's like we made it cheap we made it colorful we made it for the kids yeah. if you're eight years old you can sit down and watch this and you're going to be distracted by the bright lights and the crazy monsters and um and and it, you know maybe that was the point it's it's hard to divine that um in in it the midst be an of- old you know, go ahead. No, no. So uh, you go. I'm, I'm kind of drifting here. <laughs> no, yeah, because it could be even like an older audience. I think yeah. back, back in more naive days, pre-internet, social media, mm. it could play on like MTV or something. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, or it's almost like music video to me. Like it could play mm. like without sound, even in the back. Uh, behind a band that's playing or at a yeah somewhere because the colors are vibrant but there's just you know not a whole lot to get invested in character wise yeah some of the jokes are funny mm-hmm. um yeah the sort of like dad jokes they they can be funny oh um, I, la- I laughed at the dad jokes like the, the, those yeah. one-liners like uh have you uh, you know what they're saying about the see-through coffins it's like <laughs> i can't remember what the exact joke was but um yeah. You know, you, you, you uh, I can't even remember. The one I liked was like, I'm going to open a restaurant called Karma. There's no menu. You get what you deserve. Um, yeah. that, that one, I, I thought that one was funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, there's some funny bits. So it'd be, it, it'd be funny in like clips, right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny in <laughs> clips, but like as a movie, right? And that's why. It, if you showed that on TikTok, it would be huge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it works well for streaming, right? Because you can like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pause or fast forward or what have you. But yeah, if I was to watch this in a movie theater, I might get pretty antsy, pretty restless watching it. That's, um, I mean, that's interesting because um, I'm mean, thinking about like some of the movies we mentioned off the top. Like, you know, they made a Beverly Hillbillies movie. They made a My Favorite Martian movie like 30, 40 years after these TV shows were big and they're trying to reinterpret them for like the modern day, like the, you get like the leave it to beaver movie. Um, also like something like the Flintstones too, the Flintstones movie with uh, John Goodman and Rick Moranis. Um, and if I remember that correctly, it had something like 14 credited screenwriters, you know, trying to make yeah. a Flintstones movie. And if, if nothing else, you have like this completely unique um, idiosyncratic vision is like, and, and, you know, Rob Zombie is kind of a one-man band. He writes and directs all this stuff. But he does have a unique taste and unique style and unique um, direction, even though I understand it doesn't appeal to most people. But at, if at anything else you could say about the monsters, it is like a, a vision. It doesn't feel like it just rolled off some assembly line. And there's stuff about it I do. Like, I, I mentioned the colors and, like, the design and things. I also think... Um, the casting is really good. And one of the, one of the interesting things I liked about this um, having, 
actors play several different characters like uh, uh, the, the guy who plays Herman, uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips um, also plays um, a couple of different characters. Um, Richard Brake, who I mentioned plays the doctor, but he also plays Orlock, this like Nosferatu looking guy who really goes out on a date with. Oh yeah. Um, That's a funny scene too. Yeah. When she goes out (laughs) on the date with. Right. (laughs) Cause her, uh, her father, or is it her grandfather or father? Right. It's her father. It's her father. Yeah, But they call him grandpa. Well, he's a grandpa. Uh, he's grandpa monster on the show because at that point he is a grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's, he's hilarious and, and he seems just like on the show, right? He's got yeah. it down to a T. Yeah. Daniel and, Robux, good. and he wants to set up his daughter, Lily with somebody, somebody <laughs> wealthy, right? Yeah. And somebody. <laughs> so Orlock is like the, one of the wealthiest beings around and, she goes on a date with him and she's like, what are your hobbies? And it's like the black plagues is hobby and black plague <laughs> and pestilence and pestilence are his two hobbies. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, well, isn't that the same thing? Um, yes. That was, I mean, like some of the scenes are, are actually pretty funny, pretty quotable. And just like you said, it feels like it doesn't really come together until they make the move to LA. And I mean, that's a great place to start the movie because, yeah. you know, they arrive at Halloween. They think it's like, we, we found our place in the world. It's not Transylvania, but we fit in here. And then they wake up the next morning and go outside and everyone's back to quote unquote normal. And they're like, they're everyone's being nice to them still, which is mm-hmm. anathema to like the rest of the movie where anytime they go someplace quote unquote normal, um, people freak out, but they, you know, Herman comes outside and people are handing him lemonade and he's freaking out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this is an interesting place to start the movie from. And then you realize we're kind of like 10 minutes from, from the end. And then Lester comes in like, Hey, everyone, let's haul ass to Lollapalooza or what, you know, we won the lot or whatever the heck happened, but it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like, I, and again, this, it may have been like a restriction because of budget or because of where they were shooting. I, I, I do wonder um, because the series, the series two, if I remember correctly, was essentially about, it's essentially an immigrant story. They are n- newcomers in the United States. They have settled in LA um their ways are strange but nobody treats them like monsters you have this Mm -hmm. frankenstein these vampires and these werewolves walking around and they're just part of the neighborhood makeup it's it's this idyllic american immigrant story um and that's kind of what the show was and i think in i think in engaging all the with the ookiness and kookiness and um i i guess making his own version of young Frankenstein almost <laughs> Rob Zombie kind of loses the thread of this show. He loves so much. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. Like they could have started when they moved to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes you wonder, did they just, they're just too indulgent. They're just trying to fit everything in or did they mm-hmm. actually think it would be, they, maybe they, they want to do a sequel or something, <laughs> which Mm, be I don't know. strange to see if they could actually do that but it's like yeah it all leads up to the actual opening of the show mm-hmm. um so it's yeah it's like like i was saying this origin story that we don't really don't really need um there's some mm. fun moments when they're falling in love and stuff lily and herman but those could have been just brief scenes right it just it mm-hmm. it's just there was so much 
so much going on that didn't need to be there. I don't think, but like, I agree with you. The visuals were great. And then I liked a lot of the jokes. Mm-hmm. It's just, is it a movie even, <laughs> you know, or just a pastiche of all these different things, right? Jokes, jokes and visuals and, you know, very just like just a mm-hmm. really thin storyline that just ends like it's like they just came up oh i i won in big at vegas let's go lester yeah. says at the end <laughs> what yeah does that mean? yeah yeah i i kind of wonder you know they've tried there was a, a brian fuller tried to bring back the monsters as a tv show a couple of years ago um you get things that are kind of monsters adjacent like hotel like the hotel transylvania franchise which has made like four movies. They're constantly remaking the Adams family. There's the Adams family animated movies in the last couple of years. There's a new Netflix show coming out um, based around Wednesday Adams. Um, I'm not sure when the release date for that is off the top of my head, uh, but I mean, it's coming. Um, you know, it just so much of what makes the monsters unique and interesting has been sort of like, peeled off and retranslated in a number of different ways i i just i i you feel the love for the franchise or for the series in in this movie the love is there like everyone's wearing their heart on this on their sleeve but um yeah i just wonder if like between the budget limitations between just like the uncritical love of the of the of the um source material i just wonder uh i mean you know because I, these I love these kind of movies for how confounding they are. It's just like it's interesting. You can see where there's a good movie. Um, somebody needed to take a hammer and chisel and sort of scrape off the the barnacles, though. <laughs> yeah, and I think they, they missed out on some really good stuff from the series because mm-hmm. I just lo- looking right now at, at the Wikipedia for the monsters and bring back memories of watching the series and. <laughs> They had a son, Eddie, who was a werewolf. So it wasn't a brother. It was their son. And I remember he was really funny. Mm -hmm. And then they had a niece who was the odd one out. Right. Because she's just a normal girl. She doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so they don't want to call attention to her unfortunate looks. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Like, that's just a, that's a funny premise. Right. And maybe if they had tried to just keep to that. You know, go to them in Los Angeles and start there. I, I think it would have been would have been better. But I think when the, the thing you said, like Flintstones, fourteen writers, mm. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you've got somebody who has like supreme power over the project, like Rob Zombie, you can mm. get it. You can get pretty self indulgent too, right? So that's true. Yeah, you've got Herman Munster as a rock star and stuff. I don't. It was kind of, could be kind of fun, but it just didn't, it doesn't thread together as a, as a movie, as a story. So mm-hmm. take clips from it. They can become memes. You can watch stuff on YouTube. That's probably the best way to watch this actually. Yeah, it's just yeah. through, just through clips. Yeah. Um, well, maybe f- for one last word about Rob Zombie, having, uh, you know, seen this on the same weekend as Halloween ends, um, my estimation of what Rob Zombie did in his Halloween two only, continues to grow so um you know rob zombie uh perhaps the greatest halloween director of all since john carpenter uh i'll let i will let the listeners decide 
since we're on our way out of the show this week, we hope you liked it. Uh, Steve, if you want to listen to this again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just search for End Credits on CFRU on Spotify. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Tim, where can people find you on the internet? On the internet, flashing the deadpan on social media. And looking forward to Halloween. (laughs) Any Halloween costume ideas, reach out. (laughs) All right. Good shout out. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. You can then find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits. And we will see you then. Thank you.